Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And it tells the teacher that you would be reverent and that you would not have malicious gossip in your life. And you wonder maybe why some people don't follow you, ladies, is because they don't want to be around you because they're so afraid the more you know about them, that person, you may share that with someone else because you just got loose lips that sink relationships. Okay? And I'm going to tell you, there's been relationships that have been shattered by gossip. There's been businesses shattered by a gossiper. There have been teams shattered by a gossiper. There have been churches shattered by a gossiper who has taken someone, give a half-truth about it, speak it as truth, but because they're respected, others believe the assumption that was made, the assumption now becomes truth. The truth really isn't the truth, but the assumption now becomes the truth, and now you've got a full breakdown of that other person. So it talks about if you're going to teach the younger women that you are not a malicious gossiper. It's really important. And guys, we need to lean in this as well. Number three, those of us who are, or those of you ladies who are going to teach us, not enslaved to much wine. Now, you might be thinking of the social drinker. Okay, I, I get all of that. But let, let's go back to those days. In those days, <clears throat> the recipe for wine, as many Bible teachers teach, um, believe that it was a a lighter recipe than what we have today. So that's why it says don't drink too much wine, because if you drank the lighter recipe of those days, the more you drank even of the lighter one, it will have an effect on you. And so it says don't do that. Now you take today's recipe, and you can imagine where that could go of how much wine. So I'm not here speaking for or against wine. I am speaking here, watch this, the effect that wine will have on you based on the amount and the kind of recipe of wine that you take. And all that says that when wine is affecting you, that's why it says don't be drunk with wine, is it's affecting your thinking, it affect, and your thinking will affect your emotions. Your emotions now will affect your, your behavior. It'll affect what you say. So in other words, it is going to so um, um, mess you up kind of a thing, ladies, when you have some of that alcohol in you, that your effectiveness of fulfilling your mission in life is destroyed. And so now let's move it away from wine, and I'm going to culturalize it today. I know I'm making an exegetical step out of the context, but I think it's something worth talking about. If wine will affect you negatively, now again, it does say to take wine for your stomach's sake, all that was a medicinal reason. I get all of that. I'm 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 not discounting any of that value. It would be like saying today that if I take opiates, if I take opium, if I take all sorts of stuff that at one time was medicinal for me, but now it goes to seed because now I'm not taking uh, a little, I'm taking too much, whatever that is, it is affecting me. So it's not anti-medicine, it's anti-over-medicating. So now what's happening, you're having uh, crutches in your life that's affecting you so negatively, and be very careful because when you start taking that, it goes from it helps you to begin, and then you go over the line if it's helping you, now becomes a slippery slope. And let me say the slippery slope isn't a very thin slope. It's a major drop-off. Boom. And so it's going to affect you. It's going to affect your mission in life. So you want to, why am I here? 
It's take what God is doing in your life and now come alongside of the ladies. All right, number four. It says, teach what is good. So that goes back to what we've been saying already. Older women teach younger women. Teach what is good. Now we're going to end with number four, and that is, all right, what's my message? What am I to teach? If that's what I'm supposed to do, what am I, how am I to be? And then now what am I to do? I'm to communicate my message. And my message should be very biblical. My message should be supported with Scripture. My message is, is not my message. I'm just a, a kind of a, how can I say, I'm a, I'm a mouthpiece for God here, and I'm letting the Word of God share it with them. So what would I do? And there's a number of things, if you're wanting to know, what are the basic truths that I need to teach these younger women? Now, I mean, come back up here for air just a little bit. Um, just to hammer again. The younger women that are listening to me today, I'm very grateful that you would be in church. There is a special experience for you younger gals to be here around the body, life that we have here, to hear it from the pulpit ministry, God's Word. But I want you to know your primary teacher for these areas that we're going to talk about needs to be an older woman. I'm going to support the older women by teaching this, but the primary instructor should be an older woman in your life. Now, let me ask and answer the question. None of these tell you older women to teach younger women about doctrine. Now, doesn't that sound weird? Because I'm, I, I teach doctrine. I believe doctrine. I have a 15-page personal doctrinal statement. If you want it, ask for it. I'll give it to you. All right, all that being said, it doesn't tell the older women to dump doctrine on the younger women. That doesn't mean we abandon sound doctrine. We don't build the teaching on sound doctrine. We've already studied that when I began. Now the responsibility is, what do I teach them? And I'm only giving you what Paul told Titus. This is what you're supposed to teach the older women to teach. So take it up with them. Here we go. Number one. So that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. And again, it ends with, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. All right, you got that now. Let's go back to this passage. I want to show you some beginnings here where it says, so that you do all of this. In other words, you live the life so that the younger women may be encouraged, or you may encourage the younger women. That word encourage there is a unique word because that, re- that word itself means to train them. So it is teaching them information, but it's also showing them how to live out that information. That's the training part. So when you see the word encourage, it's more than just a pat on the back or a nice little note. It's you're actually showing them. When they fail, you show them how they maybe misstepped and then lovingly put them back on the path again and show them again. It's like little girls teaching them, and I'm not marginalizing all girls here, but, but the little girls, you're teaching them how to bake. You know, they might burn the cookies the first time, so you show them how to do it the next time, etc. So you're training while you're teaching. So I want you to see the teaching and the training are two separate words that are used in the context of what older women do to younger women. All right, then it says the young women... To do what? Here it is. The first one is to love their husbands. To love their husbands. Now, when I looked at that word there, the word love there is not the word agape, love them unconditionally. That's probably other teachings that we can have. I I get that. But right now it talks about love them. And here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say teach the younger women how to love their husbands. It says teach teach the younger women to love their husbands. Now, go back with me in time. 2,000 years. Today, we fall in love, and then we get married. In the Bible days, it was the marriages are arranged, you get married, and then you figure out how to fall in love with the guy. 
Are you, are you following me? All right. So if you look at those days, those women had nothing but mostly bad examples of men. And so here it's not five ways to love your husband. You know, it's more like you need to love your husband. That's the idea. And if some of you women are brutally honest, that's a phrase, brutally honest, I'm sure you went married women, you probably went through times that you did not love your husband. And you have 15 different ways on how to do it, but you just didn't love them. And that's what the older women are to teach. You are to love them. You need to love them. And then the how-to comes after that. So it's a very important truth, and I don't know that I'm expressing it as clearly as I, as I really want to, but I wanted you to know how important this command is. And this command is a hard one to obey, but it's the one that's in Scripture nonetheless. The second one is to love their children, to love their children. Do you really have to learn to do that? Think about it. Does a woman really have to tell them to love their children? I say this with all grace. The answer is still yes. How do I know that? How many women have a child in their womb and they abort that child? But let me say it more practically. They kill that child. So how can you say that, yeah, you're going to love your children. All mothers love their children. No, all mothers don't. How many of them stuff their kids in a van, jam their foot on the accelerator as they aimed it toward a boat ramp? So they don't. And we can go through the postpartum stuff that's out there. I'm just saying that it's a struggle sometimes for these women, these young women, to love their children. And you older women out there, come alongside them. Show them where that love is going to come from, from the Lord, from an omnipotent God. Let them know that you've had struggles with that, but how you won those battles with Satan, with yourself, your flesh, and how you're so glad you did. Be there for them when they go through those tough times. And then you can give them some of the practical ways to love their kids. Number three, it says, teach the younger women to be sensible. Some people say that means serious-minded, level-headed, good judgment. Another translator says, here's a neat thing, self-controlled and wise. What is that implying? That young girls in the Bible days were probably all over the map with the things that they were saying and doing and the giggling and blah, 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 blah. Uh, just maybe being girls, I don't know. But he was reminding them, you older women teach these women about the seriousness of life, how to make wise decisions, why it's important to exercise self-control in your thought, your talk, your walk, how to exercise self-control physically, morally, socially, spiritually, mentally. So the idea is that these women would grow up to be sensible women. And you know the greatest sense of sensibility is going to come from two sources if it means self-control and wisdom. Wisdom is going to come from the book, the Bible. Self-control is going to come from the Holy Spirit. So you teach them a lot about that. That's number three. Let's go to number four. The fourth area is one that's uh, very important. It's one we could talk a lot about, but we're not. It's the phrase, be pure. Tell them to be pure. Old-fashioned purity was simply premarital purity and postmarital fidelity. And so teach them to be pure. And I, I have a whole message on that. I'm, I'm not going to um, unload all of that on you right now for lack of time, but there's so much that needs to be taught to these young girls 
these young women, that they need to be taught these truths. Now let me pause for a moment, and I'm going to ask you ladies a question. When does a girl become a woman? Have that conversation with the, the, the gals in your coffee time. When is it when they pass puberty? Is it when they're 18? Is it when the law says they are? When are they become not a girl, but a young woman? Think about that, and that'll expand why these people need to be taught purity. Let me add one more thing. In my study, I found that girls today are entering into their puberty younger than they did 30 and 40 years ago. Have any of you read any of that study out there before? If so, say, uh-huh. Now, if it was that bad 40 years ago, and I mean, this bad now, 40 years, wasn't quite as young, can you imagine what it was like way back in the, in the New Testament time? How that they were probably not hitting puberty until they were 16, 17, 18, 19. Now they're hitting puberty at... 10 and 11 and maybe younger. I don't want to go too much into that. But that's why we have to teach them what it means to be pure, especially when their chemistry is beginning to rage and they live in a world that is igniting that chemistry every bit through their eye gate, ear gate, friend gate. And so they need to be taught that purity. Number five, they need to be taught and maybe more watching, but they need to be taught to be workers at home. That's an interesting phrase coming from two Greek words that basically means they need to work at home. Another way to say that is to be busy at home. Now, let me make this very clear to you. That does not mean that the woman, and even that far the wife, and even further the mother, cannot work outside the home. The reason I believe that so much is because Proverbs 31 identifies a virtuous woman, sets her up as the virtuous woman, and describes some things that she did that would look like it's in a business world. It also would show some things that are in there that are regards to her home. And if you read it very carefully, you're going to find that the emphasis was that the woman would see that her priority was at home. It isn't keep her at home, <laughs> all right? It is to make sure that the priority is her home life. She's busy at home. She's working at home. And when needed, then she will step out of the home as long as the home responsibilities from the woman's framework or woman's perspective is well taken care of. And now if you're struggling with all of that, how do you make that happen? I'll tell you, once you've lived a life that has already been so far there and you want to change it to more of a biblical life, it can be very hard because you've walked many years down this path and now you want to change? when you have all these credit card bills and you have all this other stuff and your whole lifestyle, to change overnight is very difficult, but it's the desire to get back to where God wants you to be and you make baby steps to return. And then we set up the next generation to do this. Doesn't mean they can't work outside the home. Doesn't mean they can't be educated. They should be wise, smart in this world, etc. But at the same time, to recognize their need is to be at home. Stay with me now. Because those young women are going to grow up. You older women, this is, I would love to do this with the younger women, but I just don't have time. Well, if we properly train the younger women how to set their life and how to choose the right life partners, and together we're working on this from all these different angles, it won't be as hard for them in the future as it is for now, no matter how bad the world is. Do I hear an amen on that? I know that we can do this. All right, the next, number six, is to be kind. The idea is to be gentle, considerate, good, amiable. Even God himself was kind to the ungrateful and evil, evil people. So the idea is kindness to them. I pray that we teach them to be kind women, 
gentle women like we want, gentle men. And number seven, to be subject to their own husbands. And I think there's enough said in that, except there's one word I want to park on. It's the word own husbands, to be submissive to their own husbands. I toyed with that idea. Why did it say husbands in some places, but it mostly says to your own husbands? Why would we submissive to your own husbands? I'm going to give you my opinion on this and um, see if you might want to think about it. Women then, as perhaps now, is that you women have other men in your life. I don't mean sexually, hopefully not, um, or maybe uh, affectionately, I hope not. But at the same time, you may have other men in your life that are over you. Biblically, your primary um, umbrella, if I can use that term, is going to be the Lord. And then under the Lord is going to be your husband if you're married. But in today's society, you can have other men over you. For example, the pastoral leadership is over you because it says to obey the leadership that's over you. And it didn't um, identify it as merely men. You could have a boss because you have an employment. They're over you. If you're serving on a team or a committee, you might have a chairperson, and they're now over you as a man in that particular event. Here it says, um, submit yourself to your own husband. Now I'm going to add a word, and I'm going to help you see yourself through this. I would say submit to your own husband first. We can't take away the fact that you'll have other men that are over you. So now what are you, a neurotic woman? Because you've got to obey all of this stuff that's out there. And often what happens, most women, wives, will obey other men first before their own husband. And so what it says here is to obey them, your own husband. So now you have your boss that says that he wants you to work on Saturday, and your husband says, I want to go on a picnic. What do you do? Well, some of you will say, because you're purist, forget the boss, just go with your husband. I don't know if that's the best first answer. I think the first answer is, is, does your husband want you to work? Did he release you to work? Did he encourage you to work? Is he applauding you? Is he helping you to do all the things that you need to do so that your priorities are taken care of? And so that means he left you in a position where you are under another man. So now you go to your husband and say, now I'm working here. We all agreed upon this. My boss wants me to work. You want to go on a picnic? Um, How do you want me to handle this? Because ultimately, if the husband says, you're going on a picnic, and you lose the job, that income is now dead. Something has to happen then. So again, it goes back to the husband. It's not on you, ladies. So what I'm saying in a very simple phrase is, when you have multiple men in your life that are over you, that you have to submit to, and you were to submit to our own husband, you submit to him, and then you make a very loving, gracious, prayerful, tender, timely, and with the right tone, here's the word, appeal to your husband. This is what they really need me to do. They're going to have another meeting tonight. I need to be at it. you have any problem? And now you husbands that are out there, if however it worked out that you either encouraged, expected, agreed to them having other men in their life, then work with your wife. Help them. Run interference. Do the dishes that night. Cook a meal for them. But wives, again, somehow you need to communicate that you are submitting to your own husband first. And that's what we need to teach the young gals. Now, I find this in my culture today, our culture, what I'm teaching you, intellectually, very hard to do. I'm even pushing against this. How can this... But what takes over is my greater confidence in the Word of God is God's mind on paper. And I need to obey it when I feel like it, when I don't, and until I do. Because God never never, ever, is wrong. 
Well, I need to kind of bring this to a close now. So since this is Mother's Day, I want to end with uh, two thoughts for you. First of all, I want to speak to all of you Christians, particularly the, the women here. Would you now take the message that you just heard, read it again, read it in Scripture, pray through this, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to see your aim in life. Look through these great points of what God would want you to do and begin to make those mid-course, mid-life corrections based upon a mission of teaching younger women. And then look through this and begin to pray that God would now open up doors because when you do, you're going to have two things happen in your life. Number one, you're going to have fruit. There'll be results in your life like you've never seen. And number two, you're going to have what you've always wanted, fulfillment. Because when you're in God's will, there's a sense of, I'm in the zone, and you'll be in that zone. And the second one would be to you ladies, I pray you would trust Christ as your Savior. If you have a saved parent, mother, grandfather, grandmother, they want nothing more than you would accept the payment Christ made for you on the cross 2,000 years ago so that you now would be in God's forever family with them. And they want you to trust Christ as Savior. And if your greatest gift you can give to your mother is you to come to faith alone in Christ. And if you've done that, the second greatest gift you can give to your mother right now is not going to be jewelry or me time or even to go out to lunch with them. The greatest gift you're going to give to your mother as a Christian now is to dedicate your life to the Lordship of Christ, that you're going to obey the book no matter the cost and no matter how you feel about it. That's the greatest gift you can give. And moms, grandmoms, the greatest gift you can give to your kids is not to babysit for them or hike them and drive them all around creation. It's to commit yourself to fulfill your aim in life. Is to teach that young woman, woman, young daughter, granddaughter, by being what you're to be and teaching them those seven truths that we've learned today. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. Thank you for allowing me to share the Word of God. And I want you to know how much I love you and how much Carol and I need this in our life with you as well. For those of you that are ready to make that decision to trust Christ, I will tell you that not only when you trust Christ will you have an eternal relationship with the Lord, you will also have power in your life to do and to be what God wants you to be and do. There's nothing apart from that. This is what you'll get. All that you want in life will be found in the Word and in Christ. You get all of that when you trust Christ as your Savior. And (laughs) you get heaven to boot. I pray you'll trust Christ. Simply say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I failed as a person, as a son or a daughter, as a person, partner, parent, or provider. I failed in these areas, but I know that you're a God of forgiveness, and I'm coming to you, relying on you as the Lord who died and rose again, who will keep your promise of forgiveness of me. And so, Lord, I am trusting you as my forever Savior. But now, Lord, I want to live a thank you life, and I'm going to surrender to you as the Lord of my life. And if I'm a young lady, I want to find an older woman And I want to make time to be with that woman on a regular basis because I want to listen to them and learn from them as long as they are modeling and mentoring me according to the Word of God. Would you make that commitment to the Lord? Those of you that are older, would you make that commitment to them? 
that you will begin to change what you do, offload some good things to take on some great things. We're not a large church. We're in a very busy city, and we've already had a lot of stuff that we've made commitments to. But now let's ask God to help us to rearrange some of that so we can fulfill our aim in life. And for you men, whoever you are, will you come alongside the ladies and do all that you can to support them in this? I think that's your mission. That's our mission. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for all these women that you have um, specifically designed to be a woman who is a person, a partner, perhaps a parent and a provider. Thank you that you've given us a, a game plan to follow so our life now takes on greater meaning. Now, Lord, help us now by your grace to fulfill this and thank you that we can count on the fact that you'll give us fulfillment and fruit from it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.